Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us. Merry Christmas Eve. It's the start of our year-end awards here on the Three Martini Lunch. Today begins the first of six different installments of the Three Martini Lunch, which will not only take us through today, but through all next week, culminating on New Year's Eve with our biggest awards of the year, Person of the Year, Turncoat of the Year, and predictions for 2022. Hard to believe we're already on the brink of 2022. But uh, along the way, we're going to be uh, looking at categories like today, for example, most overrated, underrated, and honest political figures. Uh, starting next week, we'll be looking at uh, folks we're sorry to see go, uh, rising stars fading into oblivion. We'll skewer the media. We'll look at the worst scandals, best and worst political theater, best and worst tactics and ideas, and that sort of thing. And so a lot of different things to cover from a very eventful year in politics and beyond in 2021. So, Jim, let's kick it off. Uh, as we uh, say, for those who remember, it's McLaughlin style. We're in our tuxes. We're giving away crystal martini glasses here to our winners, sometimes uh, you know, in honor, sometimes dubious. So let's start with the dubious. Uh, who's the most overrated political figure of 2021? Well, Greg, you know, certain categories, you really have to scratch your head and look far and wide <laughs> to find somebody who really, you know, qualifies as honest or bold or something. But man, when it comes to overrated, just a bumper crop of solid nominees <laughs> this year. This was terrific, but I'm going to go with what I think a lot of listeners' minds, probably this figure, jumped into their heads immediately. Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, <laughs> I am sorry to report that uh, the first woman vice president, the first African-American vice president, the first Indian-American vice president, isn't, at least based on the first year in office, isn't that good at her job. Uh, and that some people are probably less than stunned by this based on how her presidential campaign uh, crashed and burned. Uh, actually, there was a short-lived little flurry of support early on, that uh, tough exchange, ironically, with uh, Joe Biden. And then the more time she spent on the trail, the more time she spent on those debates, the more flip-flops she had, the more people simply didn't like her. She is someone whose entire life seems to be politics, and yet she's not that good at politics. And then, you know, throughout the year, we've talked about this a bunch of times. I don't like to harp on it. I think when you see somebody is bad at their job, you just assess that they are and then move on. But I do think it's kind of fascinating in that I, I think a big reflection of this is the fact that she climbed the greasy pole of politics in the state of California, where there effectively is no real statewide Republican Party. Um, she may have been a very good prosecutor, but she is, you know, then went on to, you know, in San Francisco, then became uh, state, uh, state attorney general, then became senator. That's, that's a state where you, as long as you appeal to the right liberal uh, interest groups in the state and you win the right endorsements of unions and various ethnic constituency groups and you take care of Hollywood, you take care of Silicon Valley, then you're going to win statewide office. And also if you raise a ton of money and that's all it's taken for her. And the first time she had to try to interact with people who weren't out of that the state of California in that Democratic presidential primary, she did terribly. As vice president, we're seeing more of the same, the uh, uh, difficulties being in charge of root causes of immigration from Central America, uh, interviews that have gone badly. I haven't been to the border. I haven't been to Europe either. You know, it just is, it's bad. And you hear these stories about her not listening to uh, what she's told in her briefings and then blaming her staff for her being unprepared. It really seems like um, 
the that she's just not up to the job. Look, I, you know, Republicans are laughing about this. Conservatives are laughing about this for the sake of the country and the fact that we have a president who's now 79. I'd like to see the vice president competent and up to the task and ready to take over at a moment's notice if, God forbid, something happens to Joe Biden. Um, a lot of work to do. Hopefully she will improve. But honestly, in terms of being you know, overrated and not living up to the hype, Kamala Harris, you are my choice for 2021. Yeah, that's an excellent choice. Yeah, I, she was high on my list in 2019 when her campaign flamed out before anybody even got around to voting in the Democratic primaries. And I think I gave it to Pete Buttigieg that year. And he's certainly could have been nominated this year as well. But uh, yeah, Kamala Harris has proven that she's not really an expert on anything. Um, she doesn't play well and get along with others. It, I mean, it seems like there's not a lot of uh, comedy in this, and I mean that C-O-M-I-T-Y, in this administration between the number one and the number two figure. They're not together very much for major announcements. Uh, things seem icy, at least if you believe any of the stories, these backstories from ex-staffers, current staffers, departing staffers. It just seems like there's chaos in the vice president's office right now, and she has proven herself not to be reassuring on virtually any uh, particular topic or just in, in terms of being able to handle the responsibilities in front of her. So good choice. Good choice. Jim, mine is going to be a little bit of a surprise, and Democrats in the media are going to hate this one because they absolutely adore this person. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she has developed this reputation for being this wizard of Capitol Hill. She's the one who can make all the levers work, and she's just this strategic dynamo who's playing four-dimensional chess or three-dimensional chess, whatever it's supposed to be. And uh, she's just the one who can make everything happen. Well, stuff has happened uh, this year. They did get, on a strict party-line vote, their $2 trillion uh, COVID relief bill that didn't involve a lot of COVID relief and probably contributed quite a bit to the inflation crunch that we had. Uh, and she's right now in the midst of um, botching the Build Back Better plan. By the time folks hear this, <laughs> maybe it'll have gotten done. Certainly, uh, I don't think it'll have gotten done in the way that um, where both uh, houses have had a chance to vote on the same bill. But even on the infrastructure bill, which had 18 or 19 Republicans vote for it in the Senate, she couldn't get across the finish line in the House. She had to have a dozen or 13 or however many House Republicans it was uh, come across the aisle and save her because she couldn't uh, get her narrow majority to do what she wanted on the less controversial bill. So to say now, after watching Nancy Pelosi actually have to work with a, uh, a small majority, uh, she's not quite the uh, grand strategist that everybody cracked her up to be. That was a good choice, Greg. And every now and then I will, you know, when something goes wrong in the house um, or she had very often, but she's also enormously gaff prone, right? You know, we have to pass the bill in order to see what's in it. Sure. Um, the, you going to the hair salon during the shutdown, during the pandemic shutdowns. So she'll do these things. And every once in a while I will attempt to, I will, I will mention this, I will observe this and I will tweak uh, this. And man, do I get pushback from congressional correspondents who insist <laughs> That she is a strategic genius and she knows and I'm like, oh, at some point you think you get better results if she's such a strategic genius. But uh, look, I guess they're wedded to their mythology and they, you know, they, they you know, look, they put a lot of effort into promoting that and in that idea and investing in that idea. I think admitting that it's all been, you know, hype and smoke and mirrors at this point would be too much to ask. Now, I think that's right. I mean, the two terms that she was the speaker before, back at the end of the Bush administration, start of the Obama administration, she had massive majorities. So, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of strategic wizardry then because you've got. I was going to say, yeah, anybody can be a good. <laughs> you give me a 60 seat majority, I'll be a great speaker. I'll get a lot of stuff passed. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, to watch what's happened now. 
which I'm happy that's ha- that it's happening. I'm happy that she's struggling, but uh, you're right. There's this insistence that she's this absolute genius on the Hill, and uh, when, when things are tighter, uh, the evidence is not really there. So anyway, it is Christmas Eve, and if you haven't gotten your gifts yet, I have to tell you, you're probably going to be in a world of hurt. My pillow is going to be your best option, though, because my pillow not dealing with the supply chain problems because they make everything right here in the United States of America, and they have fantastic products. They're in stock. There's no back orders, no delayed shipping for all of their products. MyPillow.com is the place to go. I was going to say, if you can't get it by Christmas, you want to get it as close to Christmas as possible. Because the MyPillow is made 100% right here in the United States, and they've built a huge inventory, they can ensure their customers have gifts for everyone. There are no supply chain issues, no delays, and no backlog. So Christmas, to the extent it was possible, was not canceled with MyPillow. This holiday shopping season, they are chock full of all the items on their website. Everything from the MyPillows at their lowest price ever, to the sheets, the slippers, the robes, and now cardigans. They're all in stock and ready to ship fast. MyPillow is your one-stop shop for everyone on your list. And you can shop with confidence knowing you'll receive your gifts on time or as close to on time now as you can with no issues. But also remember, they're quality products. They come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. I can't wait to walk around Christmas morning and and uh, other times over the holiday break in my awesome my slippers from MyPillow, sleeping on MyPillow, sleeping on the Giza Dream Sheets, uh, the bathrobe, the towels, got them all, and I can't recommend them highly enough. So go to MyPillow.com, and when you get there, make sure you click on the Radio Listeners Specials. That's how you make sure you get the best deals. The Radio Listeners Specials for specials like buy one, get one on Giza Dream Sheets or the lowest price ever on the MyPillow Premiums. And that's when you use our promo code MARTINI after you go there. Or you can call 800-874-0104. Use our code there as well. And don't miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim, on to most underrated political figure of the year. Well, this one... A little bit tougher, um, but then you start looking at the political scene and you start thinking about who is expected to make an impact, who were who really kind of got underestimated. And I, I came with a fairly solid choice. I hope it doesn't line up with yours. Virginia Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin. Uh, I didn't follow this year's governor's race in Virginia as closely as I usually do, in part because I had seen Republicans in this state get their hopes up and then lose, and usually lose pretty badly, in every year since 2009 which is kind of crushing to the spirit of your local conservatives. So Youngkin, who's this political rookie, he was a private equity firm CEO. He didn't seem like the most natural, naturally gifted choice to lead Virginia Republicans back to power. And the funny thing is that you know, week by week, month by month, he stuck to his winning and unifying messages. He hammered Terry McAuliffe and made the most out of every Democratic misstep, of which there were quite a few. And then he ended up by winning by, you know, 63,000 votes. What's more, Glenn Youngkin may very well have done the impossible or what we thought was impossible in uniting the populist Donald Trump base of the Republican Party, along with traditional conservatives who may or may not be on board with Trump, and then bringing in the soccer moms and the suburbanites in northern Virginia, not by a ton, but by enough of a margin to win in the state. Democrats were flabbergasted by this. And I think that, you know, they obviously a big part of the story, no doubt, is that Terry McAuliffe made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, I don't want parents tell, telling schools what to teach. You know, he, he was a bad candidate in a lot of ways. But it also helped that Glenn Youngkin was a good candidate. And I think part of the issue, Democrats did not see him coming. 
No, I think that's right. I think Terry McAuliffe uh, probably could have been a nominee for overrated. He was expected to, you know, once he got the nomination, to pretty much waltz in, given the dynamics in Virginia, like you mentioned, over the past dozen years. But yeah, Glenn Youngkin is a guy who ran a really disciplined campaign. Very few gaffes that I can remember, certainly any major gaffes, uh, for a political novice, uh, as a candidate anyway. And like you mentioned, uh, the Democrats, especially McAuliffe, handed him issue after issue. Some of it was just, you know, the craziness going on at the school boards. That really galvanized it into a national issue, which I think helped him as well. And he was politically astute enough to realize, uh, I need to get on this. I was, you know, he was talking about uh, eliminating the grocery tax, which is great, but I'm not sure it was going to be a, uh, a state shifting uh, issue for him. And then he realized what was happening. Parents getting frustrated. He, he did it without demagoguing it, just talking about we're going to give parents their say in the schools and did a fabulous job. So, yes, Glenn Youngkin was... My first choice in this category, but I'm actually glad you chose him, Jim, because my second choice, I think, deserves a shout out as well. She's not usually known as a political figure until the last couple years. Janice Dean, the weather mm. uh, lady over at the Fox News Channel. That's probably not the right uh, head meteorologist is probably the best way to put it. Uh, you know, she was out there with books called Mostly Sunny, talking about her wonderful positive demeanor in terms of facing uh, the very difficult health challenge of multiple sclerosis. But uh, most of all, people just knew her as this relentlessly happy and upbeat uh, weather forecaster over at the Fox News Channel on Fox and Friends and so forth. And then both of her in-laws, her husband's parents, died at separate assisted living facilities due to uh, the policy from the Cuomo administration in New York that uh, forced nursing homes to take back COVID-positive patients. And they both died pretty early on in the pandemic. I think one was in late March, one was in April. And she went on the offensive against Andrew Cuomo at a time when virtually no one else was. He was the darling of the media. His approval numbers were through the roof. And she was the only voice, for the most part. Other people got on once they realized what the nursing home policy was. But she just kept on it relentlessly, even months later, as all of this fawning was happening over Cuomo. He was getting an Emmy. He had a book out. He was talking about how they you know, conquered COVID, even though it was the worst state in the country in terms of dealing with it. Uh, and she just stayed on it and stayed on it and stayed on it. And that other scandal started to pile up for Cuomo, namely the sexual harassment ones, but also uh, using his staff for the book deal, giving preferential treatment for COVID tests. And she just kept pounding it, saying, you know, the nursing home scandal is why he should be gone, but I'll take it however it happens. This is not personal. It's just a guy who needs to go. And finally, he did. And then uh, when the, the, the walls were closing in on Chris Cuomo, she stayed on that as well, not from a personal sniping standpoint, but just for a personal ethical responsibility standpoint. And uh, Jim, if you had told me two years ago that at the end of 2021, Janice Dean would be smiling and the Cuomos would be lying in a heap on the side of the political road, I would have not seen that coming. Greg, that is an excellent choice. And I think it illustrates a dynamic at work in a lot of our politics right now, that sometimes the most powerful figures don't come from the world of politics, haven't necessarily come from elected office. Think about the amount of political intensity that surrounds everybody from I want to say like, you know, Mike Rowe, uh, Joe Rogan, mm -hmm. um, people who are not necessarily from the world of politics, haven't spent, you know, wouldn't, and would never pretend to be policy experts, but then something like the pandemic, you know, ends up touching their lives in some way. 
And they end up, you know, being articulating how the, the average American feels about this and maybe some of the unforeseen consequences of bad policies and things like that. Um, it really it resonates with people in ways that it just isn't going to from your average senator or member of Congress or governor or something like that, or perhaps your typical uh, political correspondents <laughs> or radio show or radio talk show hosts and such. So add it all up. It's a uh, just, you know, thanks. Thanks to Janice Dean for everything she's done in this past year and a half. Um, willing to say the truth, even when it isn't popular, and end up having be, being proven right, and also I think having a considerable impact along the way. Exactly. And if reports towards the end of the year were correct about how Chris Cuomo was referring to Janice Dean, you know that the Cuomo world was completely tied up in knots and pounding the table and probably spewing more expletives than we've ever heard in terms of the impact she was having. They were building a strategy to discredit her. Well, guess who got discredited along the way because of uh, their actual actions and words? That would be the Cuomo brothers. So well done, Janice Dean. All right, Jim. In the meantime, we're heading into a new year and you want to diversify that portfolio. Uh, Look, in addition to your traditional investments, if they don't already include gold and silver, that could be an excellent way to go. Because as the the dollar gets weaker and weaker, at least for the moment, the price of silver still doing well. It's increased 340 percent since 2000. Gold doing well also, and they continue trending higher. And if you want to explore those different areas of investment, there is no better place to explore that than universal coin and bullion. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin, the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, the leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. Postage is free, and you can rest assured knowing you're dealing with the experts. In fact, the company's president, Dr. Mike Fulgens, is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. He's also the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. UCB has rare gold coins as well, but our special silver deal is only available using the code MARTINI. So use that code when you call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. All right, Jim, you mentioned at the outset how many candidates there were for most overrated political figure. Now we're up to honest political figure, most honest. So I'm guessing the nomination list could be uh, probably on one page, right? Yeah, it's, it's a three by five index card. But um, <laughs> actually, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something really unusual this year. I'm going to nominate someone that I strongly suspect uh, I will be disagreeing with in some future version of the three martini lunch. Um, it's actually a group of people. It's kind of a, a movement, you could even say. Um, but for most honest, I'm kind of nominating the anti-woke liberals. And there are a whole bunch of figures you could put in this category. Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taby, uh, Barry Weiss, um, formerly of the New York Times, Matt Iglesias, who I'm not always the most fond of. Uh, you probably could throw in Bill Maher uh, and maybe a bunch of other figures who for much of their careers or you know, public personas were seen as being on the left. They probably would still describe themselves as being left of center, uh, more likely to vote for the Democratic Party, but they've just reached a point where they can't stand woke social justice warriors and, and all of this. Um, and I should point out, by the way, this, you know, this is a this coming with a caveat. I think we conservatives may be a little too eager to believe these folks are now on our side. 
They are not. And if and when the woke movement is spent and exhausted and no longer a factor in our politics, and I hope that we reach that point someday soon, uh, or maybe when Republicans are back in power again, which may be sooner than we think, I think it is extremely likely that most of these folks who have been cheering these last few years, they will go back to bashing conservatives. They are our allies for now. They are These folks are allies of convenience, and we should not forget that. Now, with all of that said, these folks have stood up and told their longtime political allies that they're wrong, which takes courage. The easier thing would be to keep their heads down and nod and go along with ideas and proposals that they think are wrong or crazy or destructive to society. And these folks have made enemies over it. They have lost jobs. Oh, I should probably should have thrown uh, Andrew Sullivan in there, right? All of these guys have lost gigs or ended up uh, losing stature, friendships, all that kind of stuff because they've stood up for what they think is right. And they've, you know, they had the opportunity to go along with something that was effectively a lie. Oh, don't worry, abolishing the police will work out fine. We shouldn't have immigration enforcement. Um, it's perfectly normal to go around bean counting and seeing everything, everyone and everything through the, you know, the race, class and gender and all that kind of stuff. And it reached a boiling point for them. They, the frog jumped out of the pot of water before it was cooked. Um, and so I salute them for this. I think they're being very honest about it and I think they're paying a price for it. So I give them credit, but conservatives, let's not fool ourselves. Within a couple of years, we're probably going to be back at, you know, hitting each other, each other over the head. That is certainly the case on most issues. Uh, we do not agree. And yet again, uh, we agree on our first choice, but let me uh, add a little spice to it uh, because one of our good martinis, I think this was back in October, was Barry Weiss on Reliable Sources with Brian Stelter. And uh, she had just written a book about how, you know, the left has lost its mind on some issues. And he says, oh, come on. Uh, do you actually have any specific examples of that? And she's like, yeah, I do. And here they are. You write, there are tens of millions of Americans who aren't on the hard left or the hard right who feel the world has gone mad. So in what ways has the world gone mad? Well, you know, when you have the chief reporter on the beat of COVID for the New York Times talking about how questioning or pursuing the question of the lab leak is racist, the world has gone mad. When you're not able to say out loud and in public that there are differences between men and women, the world has gone mad. When we're not allowed to acknowledge that rioting is rioting and it is bad, and that silence is not violence, but violence is violence, the world has gone mad. When we're not able to say that Hunter Biden's laptop is a story worth pursuing, the world has gone mad. When in the name of progress, young school children, as young as kindergarten, are being separated in public schools because of their race, and that is called progress rather than segregation, the world has gone mad. Jim, I don't think Brian Stelter is going to have her back uh, anytime soon. <laughs> He tried to he tried to change the subject after that. Um, but yeah, so this was my first choice as well. I don't think you can crystallize. There are other issues, of course. But I mean, in the span of about a minute, she hammered about a half a dozen there and pretty much uh, uh, won the debate right then and there. One I will add is uh, Tim Scott of uh, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I think he does a great job of, of being frank. Um, he was the uh, person the Republicans chose to give the response to the State of the Union address. And I thought he was the best responder to the State of the Union address in recent memory, perhaps uh, in my entire uh, conscious memory. He just not only told you where Republicans stood, he went and and attacked the premise of the Democrats on issue after issue after issue from, you know, voter ID to economics to education. It was just a brilliant takedown one issue after the other. Our public schools should have reopened months ago. Other countries did. 
private and religious schools did, science has shown for months that schools are safe. But too often, powerful grown-ups set science aside and kids like me were left behind. The clearest case I've seen for school choice in our lifetimes because we know that education is the closest thing to magic in America. Tonight, we also heard about a so-called family plan, even more taxing, even more spending, to put Washington even more in the middle of your life from the cradle to college. Republicans support making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And so do the voters. Big majorities of Americans support early voting and big majorities support voter ID, including African Americans and Hispanics. So, Jim, I think we're off to a good start right now. Uh, congrats to Tim Scott, uh, the unwoke libs, Glenn Youngkin, Janice Dean, Kamala Harris, and uh, Nancy Pelosi, I guess, although they're probably not quite as excited to to be the honorees this year as the other categories. But uh, have a merry, merry Christmas, and I will talk to you again next week as we hand out the rest of these prestigious awards. Looking forward to it, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And, of course, a very Merry Christmas to all of you. Have a wonderful time celebrating with your family and friends. And please join us again, starting again on Monday, for our final five editions of the Three Martini Lunch Year End Awards. On Monday, we'll be talking about the political figure we were most sorry to see go in the year 2021, as well as our choices for rising political star and political figure fading into oblivion. But until then, most importantly, Merry Christmas, and thank you for listening to the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens. He's the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. Mike was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, given all the uh, economic uncertainty right now, what's your forecast for gold and silver in the months ahead? I think people should immediately get gold and silver in their portfolio now, and if they have it, increase the percentages by 5 to 10%. The World Gold Council recommends a 10 to 20% portion of your portfolio be in gold. It's life insurance for the rest of your portfolio. And I predict gold and silver to be up 10 to 30% by 2022 due to inflation, the increasing debt, and other factors of uncertainty. And uncertainty drives gold and silver. If you think we're going to have more uncertainty over the next year, buy gold and silver. It's going up, in my opinion. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.